0: No, not another podcast. We don't need another podcast. There are too many podcasts. There are bits of the Pacific Ocean where the fish can't find any food because the water is so polluted by discarded podcasts, the fish can't see and they're starving to death because of all the fucking people with their fucking opinions and all the comedians talking about absolutely fuck all and all the ones about Doctor Who where they don't know as much about Doctor Who as I do and it makes me stressed and then I can't get to sleep and only put on a Doctor Who podcast to help me relax and get to sleep and now it's 3am and I'm getting angry at an Australian for a announcing castravalva wrong i'm sorry but surely the world doesn't need another podcast so why the fuck are we doing another podcast well this podcast is different this is the no sweats podcast for a start it's made ethically by a unionized workforce using organic fair trade microphones and all the ones and zeros used to encode it are certified vegan We guarantee not to engage in the manufactured culture war. As punks, we reject most mainstream culture anyway. We won't bore you with party politics. Oh, hey, so do you know this mad thing Boris Johnson did? No! Fuck off! Your jokes about the Tories make them stronger! Fuck all that. We're here to make a change on issues that really matter. Real human lives, real situations, real people fighting and winning and making an actual difference. we leave either theorising and arguing to other people, because yes, we've got the books, but we haven't really read them. I may just be talking about myself here. Sorry, I- I've overreached. I apologise to everyone else involved. No sweat. But we promise to make you feel empowered in this age of disenchantment, to help you build a new world in your hearts Some of us are old enough to remember the 90s, back when it felt like we were winning, when our enemy was a Labour government and Naomi Klein showed everyone that Gap and Starbucks were evil and everyone stopped shopping there and they went out of business. Hooray! Of course, we're recording this just as the iPod is killed off, the very piece of technology that enabled and named podcasts in the first place. But we mustn't weep as another redundant plastic thing gets chucked on a pile on top of all the disc players and VCRs. Technology means it's never been easier to rescue a second-hand MP3 player from obscurity and keep your purchases ethical. Hooray! eBay is punk as fuck! eBay probably isn't punk as fuck. It's probably owned by an evil corporation, but fuck it, the clash signs to CBS. There are no heroes under late-stage capitalism, only survivors. Anyway, on with the show. The No Sweat Podcast with Andrew O'Neill. <laughs> Welcome to the No Sweat Podcast, the official podcast of the grassroots organisation that fights sweatshop labour and builds worker solidarity worldwide. Now, if that sounds a bit dry, fear not, because I am your host, Andrew O'Neill, non-binary stand-up comedian and dickhead. So over the coming weeks and months, uh, the No Sweat Podcast, uh, we're going to dive in... In detail on uh, the the various different issues we're going to tease apart the different issues that are at um, uh, the root of worker exploitation around the world of sweatshop labor um, we're going to talk to activists we're going to talk to people who are on the front line of worker solidarity organization unions um, and we're basically gonna shine a light on the, the 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 amazing things that are happening around the world, the incredible people, the individuals who are actually out there making a difference, changing lives. Um, and uh, there'll be, it'll be sometimes a bit topical, and sometimes it won't. Um, and if you're listening, if there's any questions you have for us, if there's anything you'd like us to shine a light on, um, we have we have people who know their shit, and we can you know we can do that. We can uh, we can explore the different issues. Uh, it's going to be. Incredibly interesting, it's going to be uh, incredibly informative and hopefully week by week we will encourage you to feel that there is something you can do to help out on this human level, on an environmental level. Um, We live in an age where it's easy to be disheartened politically but there are people out there whose stories uh, will fill you full of inspiration and uh, activist energy. And joining me are No Sweat activist and all-round punk rock legend Nafpreet Singh and campaigner, blogger and ivory tower academic Maisha oh, Begum. Wow. How hey, are you thanks
1: both? A lot. All good. Great introduction, thank you.
0: Yeah. Sweet. Academic
1: is quite a stretch on my <laughs> side, I
2: can't lie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's alright, that's fine, that's fine. So um this is the this is the first uh, episode. This is our um this is our Who the Fuck and No Sweat podcast. So could you each tell me um how you got involved in No Sweat and what it was that they were doing that drew you to them? Um Nav, you could go first.
1: Um so I went to my first petrol girls gig. Um I had uh, like got involved with their zine that they were creating. So it was it was like a quite a, a big gig for me because it was that like first time seeing Petrol Girls too.
3: Yeah and then yeah.
1: I, I saw Jay um with his no sweat stool and he had um stickers breads and roses and death to fascism and i took a few of them and like a sticker saying um like far right not welcome and i was like yes like this is yeah, this yeah. is where i belong do you get what i mean <laughs> awesome. and, yeah. and then got into contact with him and then since then just been getting involved with no sweat
0: wicked beautiful and Maisha, how about you
1: Yeah, so
2: I've been campaigning against like uh, sweatshops since probably Rana Plaza. I mean, I was very aware of what was happening before that, but I think that was kind of the turning point for me where I realized I really need to kind of stop being sad and actually do something. And so I started doing like anonymous blogging um, because I didn't want anyone to know because I was very introverted, didn't want anyone to know what I was doing in my life. And then I slowly started getting more open campaigning and I wanted to learn more. I did a master's in labor, social movements and development to understand again the kind of the, the roots of exploitation. And right. then, yeah, I really wanted to do more sort of worker solidarity work with trade unions. And then that's how I came across No Sweat and I messaged, um, I messaged the website and I was basically like, look, I want to get involved in campaigning. Can you give me some advice? And it was, Supposed to begin as advice, but it just became like, hey, let's work on this together, let's work on that together, and now I'm very much a part of No Sweat, happily.
0: Wicked. That's great. And my, So my background goes back to when I got first got started in stand-up in the early 2000s, uh, and Jay got in touch with me to be part of um, – uh, some no sweat benefits at the uh, at the Cross Kings in King's Cross, and uh, we had people like Josie Long and Stuart Lee and 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 all that sort of thing. And then and then as Jay uh, developed uh, the sort of uh, the T shirt selling end of it, you know, so, so sourcing uh, sourcing garments from unionized workers um, uh, worldwide, um, and that's that sort of like since then, that's how I get my merch made, and you know, and you know, sort of beers with Jay and that sort of thing. So yeah. and I. I my, thing, I mean, I'm in, I'm an anarchist. I've been an anarchist since I've sort of like woke up politically when I was in my teens, and and uh, and for me, no sweat is like it's in terms of my activity. It's like it's 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 an ideal. It's an ideal way to uh, to 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 be active. To actually, you know, any any the, the small amount I do, uh, you know, sort of stretched over the years, um, it feels it feels like a really good outlet for it. So um, let's let's like sort of tackle um, some of the fundamental issues uh, but don't worry in a fun and sexy way um, <laughs> so I would I, first of all I'm going to I'm going to um, uh, My issue. What would you so sweatshop labor is sort of fundamentally the, the 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 issue, the the lightning rod issue for for what no sweat do uh, opposing sweatshop labor. Um, but to ask a stupid question, what would be your working definition of sweatshop labor, and why is it something that we should oppose?
4: So sweatshops are basically places where garment workers are involved in the manufacturing of clothes where they face routine labour rights violations, including poverty wages, uh, denial of freedom of association, so i.e. the right to organise and form trade unions, dire health and safety conditions, um, and also abusive treatment from supervisors and management to meet incredibly high and impossible targets um and particularly gender-based violence that women workers face. So while I meant list all of these, while they may seem like a list of just isolated violations, I think it's really important to remember that. All of these stem from the purchasing practices of brands who basically push for factories to make really large quantities of clothes in as short short a time as possible and force them to do so with as little investment as possible from the brand itself. And in doing so, they've basically made a political and conscious choice to make profits by stealing from those with the least financial and legal power, i.e. the workers in the global south because they can get away with it, right? They know that they can't be challenged. They know that they can keep pushing prices down in this endless race to the bottom, knowing that these costs that they push on suppliers and in turn factories will mean that health and safety won't be catered to. Uh, workers are being forced to meet these crazy targets um, and forced to work overtime to do so. They know that it means workers are going to work on poverty wages and they know that the denial of freedom of association will allow them to continue to do this because that means workers won't and can't stand up um, against these horrific conditions that brands essentially thrive on to survive.
0: Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think one of the things that draws me to um, to, to this end of, of activism um, is... It's, it's addressing the power imbalance between the very mm. wealthy, between corporations, between people who basically get to do whatever the fuck they want worldwide because they've got the money and because the money gives them the power. Uh, and with a sort of, you know, neoliberal political situation, you know, we, we all know that our current, current government absolutely fucking loves this sort of thing. And for yeah. me, it's about, it's about, because obviously the, the history of like sort of um, uh, workers' organisation in the UK um, meant that that we we sort of it feels to me and please tell me if i'm wrong about this but that we through activism uh through the sort of late victorian era and the early t- the early part of the 20th century we got to a certain point where we uh we won we won a load of rights but then what happened was corporations t- took manufacturing to countries that didn't have those rights and it's like whack-a-mole yeah. you're sort of chasing it around the world you know um but nav uh, the, the the thing that strikes me as well because i'm an old fart now I'm 42 right and when I was in my youth it really I really felt like and I think this is quite this happens when people get first involved in activism but I felt like we were winning and you know I was I was arrested outside Gap on an anti-sweatshop campaign and what I want to ask you is but didn't didn't we fix it didn't we fix it in the 90s and the question is to what degree on our high street are we are the pro, are, are the things that we buy, garments or electronics, the the product of sweatshop labour, and can we make more ethical choices? You know.
1: Unfortunately, Andrew, you didn't fix it in the nineties and a very large majority, almost everything that we see in the high street comes from sweatshop labour. Child labour and modern slavery cases are still being reported, especially in Asian developing countries, for example Bangladesh, Indonesia, Sri Lanka and Philippines, where many garment workers are being paid below the legal state minimum wage, long hours in unsafe environments where there's no health care or paid leave, uh, even with products. So. Nike and Apple are linked to allowing the use of forced labour from the Uyghur people in China and that's stated in just 2020. Also in 2019 there are claims from female Lululemon factory workers um, that are being abused in Bangladesh. So it hasn't been fixed and abuses of human rights are still happening. And the saddest thing is, consumers are being bought by their greenwashing campaigns. So, uh, the Retail Week's "Green Is the New Black" report uh, interviewed a thousand UK consumers in January two thousand twenty-two, and the and the top five most sustainable companies in the industry. Bearing in mind, sustainable isn't just you know making sure. That the environments looked after. Sustainable is ensuring that your your workers looked after, that the workers in the supply chains are being treated fairly too. But the top five most sustainable companies in the industry are apparently H and M, Nike, Primark, M&S, and Amazon. A lot of money is being spent on their greenwashing campaigns, but not on their garment workers making a fair living wage.
0: So and that's so it's not even like I think there's I think there's a perception that like well obviously if you're going to go to Primark, yeah that's you know that's the bottom end of it. But what Mm. you're saying is no, even if you go to sort of M and S and or you know even if you go to quite you know the higher end high street retailer, yeah, that's all still going to be made by disenfranchised workers on on shit wages and under dodgy conditions.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
0: So so that in terms of the countries that these garments are made in off the top of my head i often see i think i'll see bangladesh i'll see vietnam um um why why are certain countries um i'm gonna i'm gonna rephrase that Mm -hmm. uh uh why are there certain countries that seem to make most of our clothes? And what is it about those countries? So why don't I see any garments made in Canada or France? Well, is it about the, maybe the political situation? or yeah. the, That are in those countries that means that these factories are outsourced to those countries?
2: It basically started around the 80s, right? Where like it was similar to what you said, where around like, like post-colonial era, when the colonies had become um, independent, well, independent in um, quotation marks, and at the same time, unions in the global north were unionizing, getting their rights, etc. Because you've got the workers who are getting their rights here, and they're getting, um, they're demanding higher wages, etc. Corporations don't like that. And you've also got from the like colonial perspective, you've got the fact that the north can't extract directly extract profit from their former colonies, right? And so, right, kind of the way to the way to go about that is through in like outsourcing. So they cleverly tell these co- countries, right, like you're in debt. We can help you. We're going to give you this amount of money on the condition that you open up your economy and that yeah. you basically depend. You, you, you they, made, they essentially manipulate the economies of these countries so that they depend on exports to the to um, on cheap exports to the global north. And so yeah. it's what we call neo-colonialism, right? Where now these countries have effectively become dependent, or their economies have become dependent on selling these cheap goods to the global north. And so if they start saying, right, we want we want workers' rights, these countries, these companies can be like, no, nah, we're going to leave because we've changed the systems so that we can go to wherever the hell we want and demand yeah. um, cheaper labor, which is what's happened, and which is why it's easier to go to these countries because they've manipulated the law, the economy, economy um everything's relaxed and then also we look into the fact that we've got a lot of sourcing in Leicester um like you said Mm -hmm. this government doesn't care there's there's no regulation there they don't care they've they've cut all the sort of investment in um, inspections and stuff so it's happening here and it's migrant workers here so either way you've got people of color mostly exploited because these are people Mm -hmm. either they descend from the colonies or they're living in the colonies right now and so it's like Mm -hmm. this ongoing neo-colonial era that we're living in um, which is very dire, but that's basically how they manage to manipulate so that they can continue extracting profit from people of colour.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's absolutely disproportionately people of colour, disproportionately women.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing, and I feel like we could talk about another time, but, like, the feminization of labour and how it's not a matter of, oh, let's help these women, they need jobs, it's like, no <laughs> way, we, we can exploit you because we know, like, they're perceived as being docile workforce that can be easily manipulated, and mm-hmm. that's why... They are the main sort of source of income because they can push their wages down. They can push their wages down, in turn, push the wages of men down, which is why we see now more men working in the factories. Um, right. and it's just like, yeah, the constant driving down of wages, um, by exploiting women.
0: So, so we have a situation where wealthier countries and, and, and also the, these, these, fleet-footed multinational companies who can it's not really a big deal for them to switch their manufacturing base from one country to another because it's all sort of outsourced and so there's there's that sort of essentially kind of blackmail um and also these uh this is one thing i do remember from the reading i've done on this where things like the world bank will, will say you know we would love to help your country out but under these very specific conditions of as you say opening up your your, your economies so mm-hmm. and, and obviously what this what this ends up in is is the the day-to-day struggle which is horrific enough but then you have things like fires and you have things like the buildings collapsing and you have these you know these these are these are sort of like the um these are the the, always the peaks in 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 consciousness and interest in in this issue um so no sweat are a campaigning organization as well as uh manufacturers of punk rock t-shirts uh so what are the what current campaigns are no sweat involved in
2: so, also, I've involved in quite a few. So, we are in co- regular contact with trade unions around the globe, also like labor organizations. So, there's a pay your workers campaign, which is to push brands to sign onto an agreement. That means that they have to contribute to a fund. Um That will, if there's a factory closure, the brands must pay to support the workers because there's been too many factory closures. It's a severance is a huge issue right now where brand factories close the workers are giving no severance and brands are like, Oh, sorry, that's not our responsibility. So yeah. that's a big campaign. Um Justice for Just three we joined, which was um a worker in a H and M supplier working in the H and M supplier who sadly was killed by her supervisor and sexually harassed. And um oh, we that was a campaign led by the the a Tamil women led union to <laughs> demand justice for essentially demanding compensation for a family and for H&M to sign a binding agreement. And we have been working in a regular contact with Bangladeshi unions and we've also been in contact with groups in Haiti about um, the ongoing demand for uh, decent wages and um, working conditions. Um, And we also work with unions in Myanmar. We helped set up the Myanmar Military Never In Fashion campaign to demand brand-seize operations in Myanmar to challenge the military coup, which has been a call from unions on the ground. So we've been working with the unions there to see how we can push that uh, campaign and how we can ensure brands take action and implement a responsible exit.
0: Well, perhaps it's time to check in with someone who's been involved in No Sweat for a lot longer than any of us have. Obviously, you guys have been doing incredible work in the short term. But let's give Jay a ring and find out a little bit more of the history of No Sweat from someone who's been involved in it for over 100 years. So the person I've known the longest in the, the No Sweat uh, organization is my friend Jay. Now, uh, Jay, we met when you were doing um, comedy fundraisers for No Sweat. Um, so what? So how? Like, first of all, in terms of the his, the broader history of No Sweat, how did No Sweat get started in the first place?
3: Okay, so No Sweat was started in the year two thousand by a guy called Mick. Um, who was part of a Marxist group called the Alliance for Workers' Liberty. Um, and the intention of it was very much to create what we called a broad-based campaign group open to everyone um, to get people involved, to generate some activity around the sweatshop issue, which at that time, this is sort of coming out of the anti-globalization movements, the Battle of Seattle and all that sort of stuff, the you know anti-WTO protests and stuff like that. Um, so it was very much... A reaction to that, and a way to try and garner support against sort of like what essentially what the campaign said was uh, sweatshops are global global capitalism stripped bare. So it was really targeting the big corporations, the ma- multinational corporations that were exploiting people around the world and causing massive no- environmental damage. Um, I was a young student at a time back then. I got involved when I bumped into Mick at the Anarchist Book Fair. He was doing a stall, and I was a uh, I was about eighteen, and I'd sort of like spent a long time thinking about the sweatshop issue as a as a young punk kid getting beaten up by kids at school for being a punk, and the only sort of comeback I had was "Your clothes are made in sweatshops," you know. Didn't really understand all clothes are made in sweatshops, but that was the way it went. Um, so yeah, so we and at a time when I first joined, um, we spent a lot of time protesting outside shops. So we spent a lot of cold winter's nights on oxford circus outside nike doing various chants against whatever the main issue of the time was and it was all related to work to underground workers organizations and trade unions in manufacturing countries so countries like indonesia bangladesh mexico where workers were calling for solidarity and those was responding to that call and getting people together outside the shop to raise their voice and it to some extent, that stuff had some impact, as we heard some stories about trade unions hearing from sort of like their their own supply chains that the impacts of their voices being raised by the West, by you know, consumers in the West, essentially campaign groups like us, was having a direct impact on the way the multinationals did business with their suppliers. So yeah, it was a interesting interesting time back then.
0: Yeah, because I I I talked about this um, uh, elsewhere in the podcast of uh, being I distinctly remember being being arrested on Valentine's Day um, when I was uh, outside Gap shouting striking striking workers in Cambodia have been shot that was the slogan for that particular one Um, and then the um, the manager of that particular Gap uh, made up a story about me that I'd blocked his way and shouted fuck off at him Um, that was yeah that was quite something so. so how did you so you met mick mick was doing this this campaign that like absolutely like and i think i had a similar thing with you being being an anarchist and being a punk and and then going uh, this this looks like something tangible that was what was you know this and uh, even still this is the thing that there there are so many campaigns there are so many ways you can things you can put your energy into to me this feels like something genuinely tangible so after meeting Mick how did you get involved and what was what was your next step in the, in the, in the involvement
3: in it so back then in 2001 2002 and onwards I was quite young and I was a mostly stone student so I didn't really get too heavily involved at the time <laughs> um, a lot of the stuff I did was sort of background work but um, I, I' met some really amazing people some really dedicated activists and got to absorb that whole that whole world. So the things that were going on at the time, like beyond that first demo outside Nike that I went to after meeting Mick at the Anarchist Book Fair, um, we had regular demonstrations about various things. I witnessed or had some involvement and certainly witnessed the activity that went into creating speakers tours, which were bringing over the garment workers and the trade unionists who have you know, support organising garment workers over to the UK from manufacturing countries, mainly in the global south. Um, Yeah, and doing sort of speaker tours around the UK and linking in with the trade union movement in the UK to try and present them there and build work solidarity in that level. Um, We also had an annual conference that we called the No Sweat Gathering. That went on for a fair few years where we sort of like looked at all the different issues and brought different people together to have workshops and stuff like that. These were quite inspiring stuff, but like I say, I was a young stone student, so I spent most of my time on the stool just sitting there going, yeah, who wants to buy a T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so as time went on, that sort of changed. Around 2006, 2007, I sort of you know switched from being that sort of young student. I'd sort of matured a bit and became a bit more active and got heavily involved in the fundraising side of things. So... like I say, my background being a little punk kid, I carried on with that and started organizing punk benefit gigs as fundraisers for No No Sweat. So No Sweat benefit gigs became a regular feature in London punk scene. And then as an extension to that, No Sweat had done a few comedy nights over the years. So at some point, I honed in on that and Book this venue, the Cross Kings, you mentioned in King's Cross, and we did a regular monthly monthly comedy night. If I couldn't get a comedy act, we'd stick a punk band on. Um, And, yeah, like I say, that that sort of led to me and you meeting, and, yeah, and the rest is history. Wicked.
0: Um, And then, so after and then we we were running these um these fundraisers in king's cross the cross kings and people like stuart lee and mark thomas and Josie long and people like that and that was that was that was really great and um and then you you had what i like to refer to as your punk rock gap year <laughs> <laughs> you then and this is something I, I think it's really fucking cool you uh you took a trip uh a very extensive trip didn't you so So what was the motivation for that? And and tell us, uh, you know, a a, a capsule (laughs) capsule travel report about what happened.
3: So around 2010, I had the opportunity to go overseas and work with an amazing organisation called MAP Foundation in Thailand, in Chiang Mai, in the north of Thailand, which is a small Burmese workers NGOs, um, Burmese migrants NGO, run largely by Burmese migrants and headed up by an amazing woman called Jackie Pollock, who was a British woman who'd lived in Thailand for like 30 years. Um, And they just do amazing work on essentially on the front lines of the sweatshop issue but not just tackling workers rights but tackling migrant rights issues like undocumented migrant status um, police harassment health and safety in the workplace as well as your rights in the workplace so that was a real eye opening thing for me it really taught me a hell of a lot stuff that i'm still taking you know still using to this day and those connections have carried on 10 years down the line um but Yeah, that lasted a while and then, like I say, I was there for sort of four years, (laughs) not in Thailand, but from Thailand I went to Australia, done various different campaign work around Australia um, and then, you know, done the classic backpacking (laughs) thing of travelling around, went to South America, um, travel around that in America and stuff. Yeah, it it was a hell of a time, but at some point I decided I was getting homesick and Came home, made it back in around 2015, um, and found No Sweat. Where, like I say, where most people had gone off to fight the Tories, there was one or two people keeping No Sweat alive on a very you know basic level, and they're doing you know doing amazing work. But it was certainly not at the height of its it heyday. So I got together with them and said, okay, let's rebuild this. Work out what to do, and that's what 7 years ago now so it's been a slow process building up to the campaign as it stands today
0: and then there's your the t-shirts the, your your t-shirt your your garment empire um which again it, it, for me it's like it's this it's really nice thing of it being a tangible actual thing you could do so uh, so tell us what 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 the t-shirt thing is and what what the what the what the point of it is and how it works
3: Ah, yes, the the T-shirt project, as we like to call it. Um, I'll give you a very brief summary of what it's about because we could probably do a whole massive podcast on this issue alone. But essentially, as part of rebuilding the campaign from 2015 onwards, yeah. we had this idea that we wanted to create a genuinely ethical T-shirt that put workers' rights at the very forefront. Because when we looked at the kind of ethical fashion industry that had grown up since the days when we started no sweat so it's those early days yeah right um we noticed that workers rights gets a token mention and most of the focus is on you know environmental issues and sustainability which is absolutely great but you know we know what greenwashing is right we know how bullshit a yeah. lot of this stuff is especially when it comes from the big corporations mm-hmm. so we wanted to look at how we can put workers rights at the forefront of the ethical fashion industry we thought if we create a yeah. product that we used to sell anyway you know we used to source ethical t-shirts in the past but we decided to create our own brand ourselves as an example of how the industry should and can work so we source from you know unionized factories and workers co-ops in countries in countries like bangladesh we started out in thailand working bangladesh and we hope to grow the project to a number of other factories around the world we store source them wholesale and import them into the uk and sell them onto people or organisations, bands, campaign groups who want to print their own t-shirts and want a genuinely ethical product. So the t-shirts we sell, you know, we sell in bulk, sell blank t-shirts to people, who print their own logos on and then sell them on. From our end, for the, you know, the company, the factory we're sourcing from is up to an ethical standard that we monitor and we work with trade unions on the ground to make sure they're unionised workers, which is really important part of this because, you know, the unionised workforce in the garment industry are quite rare to some extent. So making sure we work directly with them to make sure the workers get the best treatment and have that workers' democracy in the workplace. That's the key. But then from the flip side of that, once we, we're you know, it's a not-for-profit project. So as it grows into its own sort of company, if you like, we're creating into a sort of workers' co-op, operate in the distribution side in the UK, the profit we made, the profit that gets made can go into the campaign group and also into what we call the Garment Workers Solidarity Fund. And this Solidarity Fund has already been dishing out money around the world to different campaigns that you know, I'm sure are going to come up in this podcast. So it's a really important project for us that we really want to um, continue to build and grow. And it, it basically Exemplifies everything that we're campaigning around, sort of saying, you know, we're, we're calling for this stuff. We're also showing you how it can be implemented.
0: Yeah. And it's, but it's that thing where it's like, it's in itself, it's a it's a solution to the problem. How do we buy clothes that aren't <laughs> made by exploited workers? And then also it funds stopping that happening for, it's good. It's, you know, um, and, and, and I'm going to ask you this with a certain insider insider knowledge and perhaps a glint in my eye, how's it going? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's up and down. No, it's, it's good. It's good. It's, um, it's a real lesson going from being an activist to try and do something which you don't really put much stock in, sort of like the, the skill that goes into it. Yeah, sure. I don't want to big up Nike and Gap and all that because they're all big corporate bastards, but the individual that has to sit there and do the grunt work of trying to buy T-shirts from one factory to another and get them shipped over, Hats off to her that is hard work. <laughs> and I sort of suddenly discovered this. Like I I had a much thicker hairline when I started doing <laughs> this project, you know. It's just gone to the stress. It's it's just, I mean, to some extent the pandemic's really screwed screwed us and screwed everyone, but the supply chain issues have got worse and worse. Yeah. But we are every time I think we've got a handle on it, something else comes into yeah. for, our, yeah. for our hammering works. But I'm very pleased to say that we've set up a second supply chain with a factory that was recommended by a trade union Bangladesh mm-hmm. called the Bangladesh. Garment Industrial Workers Federation, though right. so this factory are fully unionized under them, which is awesome because essentially the most important part of our project is to say workers need trade unions. That is how ethical fashion happens. Right. And that's how you get rid of sweatshops. All the rest is window dressing. It's really inspiring for me just to speak to these people and sort of say, yeah, it's fantastic what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then when you get the product and you can pass it on to people with that story. It's just really, I don't know, it's really inspiring stuff. To sort of like it's quite amazing. I, I get very emotional over a bit of cotton in my hand. You know, cold <laughs> so oh, t-shirt. Well, you thing. know, it's it's
0: it's 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 that it's that re- it's the real human story. And it's and do you know what it is? Right, it's the opposite. What you're feeling there, that emotion, is the opposite of the disconnect that we have when we buy a product. The disc, you know, when you buy something, you go, oh, you know, you fucking go to Primark and you buy a five pound t-shirt, you are entirely disconnected. And this is not, and this is, you know, this isn't the fault of, of the people buying it. You know, you're disconnected from all of the human beings along that supply chain. Even you know, fucking. I, I used to work in retail. Imagine working in Primark, like <laughs> the minimum wage in that hellhole, right? All of those people are, are exploited to get you that cheap T-shirt, and and what you're feeling is the is the opposite of that disconnect. It's like you know, that's gender it, dysphoria it. versus gender euphoria. You know, um, no, that's it. That's awesome. It. Well, that, that's wicked, and that's um, uh, I, I, that's a that's an incredibly useful overview of what sweat has where it's come from, where it's going, what it's doing now. So, thank you very much, Jay. Thank you. Cheers. Well, it's all well and good thinking about the past, but we live in the present day. So let's return to the present day and let's ask what people can do to get involved in No Sweat right now. So for some positivity and for some um, empowerment of our of our beautiful podcast listeners what can they do what can we do as people who live in the global north people who've got uh, perhaps a bit of time and energy left over at the end of the day to get involved in activism um what can we do to get involved to oppose sweatshop labor
2: yeah, I guess on a general level I would say worker solidarity is key. I think we've seen the impact. I think it's really key to understand that a lot of the change begins from workers and we've seen that historically. And I think we've also seen the power of international solidarity with these worker movements. And I think working in solidarity, finding out how we can support these groups, like how we can be allies rather than kind of try and lead the way in a in a in a campaign yeah. that I mean in a issue that it's not our place to be at the forefront and to dictate how things should be because we don't understand the situation and i think the North- northern activists will kind of center themselves like oh i'm going to purchase this instead because it makes me feel better or i <laughs> am going to um, boycott because that's right but when you listen to unions what they're saying are very different i think it's like aligning with what workers and unions are calling for and instead of sounding to trade unions
1: yeah because essentially it's what's affecting them and how we should support them right um but in regards to uh what they can do with no sweat they can always go on our website um they can always donate they can also check out all the information and the news that we have we have updated on our website um And buy our T-shirts.
0: So, thank you so much, Uh, Nav. Thank you, Maisha. Um, I think this series is going to be really good. Um, I'm already—I mean, I'm learning a huge amount. So, and thank you for listening. Please get involved uh, in No Sweats campaigns. Go to nosweat.org.uk. I'd like to thank Nav and Maisha. I've been Andrew O'Neill, and I'm off to write "Shame on You" on the window of H&M.